this is Castle One. Race officer speaking. That's a good one, Jimmy. Still gaining on the daylight there. Gaining on the daylight there. Matching him on the boundary. Yeah. Welcome, podcast fans. Thanks for joining us. We've been away for a while, as I'm sure you've noticed. It's been a busy year. A lot of sailing, a lot of work, and not a lot of time to keep on top of the podcast. So we've had a bit of a break, but we are now back with a great two-part podcast, taking another deep dive with one of the teams from the rapidly approaching 37th America's Cup. Before we get going, thanks for all your messages of support. And to those of you wondering on the lack of podcasts this summer, fear not, it's just a brief hiatus. Podcast producer Tim and I have both been busy this year and to make the podcast properly obviously takes a bit of time. Hence the brief pause in production. But there's been a lot going on, hasn't there? The preliminary gatters of the cup, the drama of the Transat Jacques Vabre, GP, and the Olympics just around the corner. There's plenty going on. It's a busy time in our sport. To those of you that took the time to head over to buy me a coffee, many, many thanks. Some of you have been very generous. Thank you again. It's great to know you enjoy the podcast. And if you haven't done so and you like what we do, please do head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash sailing podcast. Leave us a message and buy us a coffee or two. As I've said, it does take quite a lot of work to put the podcast together. So to all of you that have bought a coffee or two, many, many thanks. Right, this month's pod. As we all know, the 37th America's Cup takes place next year in the wonderful city of Barcelona. So we're trying to bring you a bit of insight into some of the teams that will be taking part, helping you decide who to support as the Challenger series gets underway. And this month, we're looking at the Challenger from the New York Yacht Club, American Magic. The team took part in the previous cup in Auckland as one of the three challengers to Emirates Team New Zealand. But they were the first to exit the cup after a brutal race incident midway through the Challenger series. Bearing away post-tack at the top mark into a building gust while leading Luna Rossa, American Magic's AC75 Patriot nosedived into a terrible capsize. As good as ending their campaign. The team galvanised around their leader, Terry Hutchinson, to get Patriot back out racing. But their cut bid was over. That's a very short history behind this team. Post the 36th Cup, the board and backers waited to see the landscape before committing to enter. But they're back and they're looking strong. American Magic represent the might of the New York Yacht Club, the most successful club by far in the history of the Cup. In fact, superlatives around the success of the New York Yacht Club's defence of this trophy are pointless. The longest winning streak in world sport. The club held the trophy from 1851 until 1983. That's 24 successful defences. Generations of talented yachtsmen 132 years of success. 
Well, since losing the trophy, the Yacht Club had, up until Auckland, challenged for the Cup just three times. So having the New York Yacht Club back amongst the challengers is a huge deal. Throughout this podcast, the team several times make reference to American Magic team principals, Hat Foss and Doug DeVos, two hugely important backers of American Magic, who are both very successful yachtsmen themselves. Hap has won multiple Maxi World Championship titles with his Bellamenti racing team. And Doug DeVos sits as a co-founder of the 52 Super Series. And with his Quantum racing team has won five Super Series World titles, more than any other team. The team welcomed us to their Barcelona base a week before the America's Cup preliminary regatta in Jeddah. So just a few weeks after they'd scored a first place in the opening regatta in Villanova. And they're a team brimming with talent from the design office, the coaching staff and the sailing team. So we've done pretty well to cram as many interviews as we could into this two-part podcast. In part two, we talked to Paul Goodison, British Olympic gold medalist, returning as helm after his role as mainsail trimmer in Auckland. We talked to David Oliver from the talent-rich design team, and we chat to exciting young sailing talent and backup helm Riley Gibbs. And finish the podcast talking to team mastermind Terry Hutchinson. Well, that's all coming up in part two. But in part one, we start things off talking to a man that, to you, will need no introduction. Multiple podcast guest, American Magic co-helm Tom Slingsby. We talked to one of the sports real super coaches, Tom Burnham, about making this talented team a winning outfit. And we talked to rising sailing star Harry Melges IV, a young sailing talent from a family steeped in American sailing history. In fact, we finished this edition in the AC40 simulator where Harry was kind enough to interrupt training to let me get on the wheel and take the AC40 for a spin around the Barcelona racetrack. I hope you enjoy the time I spent with America's Cup team, American Magic. For me, I just want to get a similar boat. If we're in the same speed boat, I feel like we can beat them. We're probably going to see a lot more classic match racing moves and things happening around the race course than we have in the, in the last edition because of the boats being closer and the boats being able to be maneuvered much better. Pretty much my entire life, the America's Cup has been dominated by other countries. So it's extremely motivating for me to try to work to bring the Cup back to the U.S. We kick things off with team co-helm Tom Slingsby. Known to many of you as Australian, Tom qualifies for the strict nationality rules of this cup as his mother is American. He missed out on the last cup in Auckland and signed with American Magic at the beginning of last year. Tom Slingsby, good to have you back on the podcast. Last time you were on the podcast, you were a two-time World Sailor of the Year and you've just won the title. Yes, again, congratulations. I mean, it must feel... A little surreal, I suspect, but pretty special. Yeah, for sure. Um, it feels a bit different to the other ones. Um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel... It's almost like you feel a bit of guilt because I've only sailed with teams and they can't be up there sharing it with me. Uh, previously, I've won off the back of laser uh, accomplishments or moth accomplishments, but this last one was all due to the 
teams I've been part of, uh, American Magic and Australian Sal GP team. And so, um, yeah, I wish they could all be up there with me um, accepting the prize. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little surreal, a bit different, but I'm very proud. Well deserved. I mean, there was a great Instagram I think we just followed the award ceremony with with you surrounded by all the Rolex watches. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. No. You could open a shop, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I've been very fortunate in that regard. <laughs> well deserved. Thank you. Um, we saw you, of course, in Villanova, first time lining up in the Cup Arena with your new Cup team, and you smashed it. Two wins and a second on a very tricky final day. It somehow felt like it was important to show you were a force from the get-go. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, there's a lot of chat in the lead-up to these events, and um, yeah, obviously it, it doesn't count for anything, which is a bit of a weird situation to be in. Um, every event we've, well, I've done in the last few years counts towards something. Um, so, But I, I said to Terry early on, and he agreed that we need to put our best foot forward here and and get the campaign off in the obviously the campaign started a long time but uh, ago but um, get the campaign going from the racing point of view in the right direction and show the team behind us a uh, hundred plus members of the team behind us that we're here here to win um, and also we've got a younger team with a um, little bit less America's Cup experience than some others so I said, look, we've got, to, we've got to do our very best here and try to um, hit the ground running and get a win on the board. And Yeah, I mean, we were lucky. It was a tricky day and uh, one day was cancelled. The second day, there was no wind. <clears throat> and then the third day, um, yeah, fortunately, we had three good races and were able to uh, steal the win. What did it count for here at American Magic? What did it mean back here? It meant a lot to everyone here, for sure. Um, yeah, coming back and seeing everyone with smiles on their faces. And I, for me, it really just, I think it's a reward for all the people who do all those long night shifts and the hard, extra hard work, long hours at work, and and they don't get to go out and race. And um, But they're very much, just as much a part of the team as the sailors are. And it's a way to reward them for their hard work, for asking them to stay another couple of hours to fix an issue or to do something. It, I think for those guys, it shows that the work they do really does matter and it does count. And um, I think it's, it's just good for everyone's morale to know that uh, at least from the designers and the shore team and the, the builders, they know if they put a good boat on the water, the sailing team can execute and can win the America's Cup if we have a, have a fast boat. So... It's great for the sailors' confidence, but it's great for everyone throughout the team. You've been on both sides of an America's Cup match win. How hard is it? How big a sporting challenge is it to actually win it? It's unbelievably hard. Um, it's You've got teams like Team New Zealand, which have been together for 20, 20 or so years, and they, uh, they, they're just such a polished unit, and they competed in every cup since then they've um they've their designers uh, sailors the shore team boat builders it's um just in every aspect they're uh, very innovative and they think outside the box and i think with a unit that's been together like there there's so many of that team who's been there for the whole 20 years 
you're coming up with ideas and innovations and those guys have already, they go, no, we did that in 2013. We tried that foil shape. Oh no, in 2017, that there didn't work for us. And so you can just cut the development time down so much when you've got a team that's got experience and you can speak openly about it and that it's not like they've been changing teams before. Uh, the core of the Kiwi team has been there a long time and yeah, they're just, it's such a hard challenge to beat a team like that. And then for, for us at American Magic, um, I've only joined this second campaign, but um, all the work they did last campaign was hugely beneficial heading into this campaign. And um, I think, yeah, look, for us, the, the structures there, the sort of um, important pillars are behind us are there. And we've just got to get all the detailing out and, and then perform on the water. But I think it's, it's definitely winnable. Um, and that's exciting. All you need is a chance. And yeah, I think every team has that. It's hard to look past the Kiwis. As you say, certainly from the outside, it looks a pretty polished unit. You know, how do you approach trying to beat them? How do you take them on? Yeah, obviously, beating the Kiwis is going to be unbelievably tough. Um, their design team, to me, oh, the, the whole squad is unbelievable, but to me, the design team is... They are just they think outside the box, and it's incredible... Like whether it's foil development, whether it's hull design, whether it's uh, aero, they're, in every area they're scratching new ground and they're testing things that you sit there and go, geez, that's a smart idea. I don't think I've ever seen them put something on the water that you like, well, that's, we don't even need to watch that. It's not irrelevant. Everything they put on the water, you need, you're watching very closely going, what's the outcome of this going to be? And you're watching the recon tapes and trying to figure out, is that faster or slower? Um, but yeah, we've got a, we're, I feel like we're starting to do the same things and we're starting to break new ground and we're getting more polished. And then I guess confidence is a big thing. Beating them in, uh, Villanova, I think was important. Uh, for me personally, being able to, having beaten them in Sao GP a few years is very important. You've got to somehow dent their confidence and make them think if, our boat speeds are similar, we're going to struggle against these guys. Um, and yeah, for me, that's going to be important. Like everyone crosses their fingers and prays that they're going to have a faster boat and it's going to be a mismatch in your favor. But the factor of the matter is it's, it's not going to be like that more than likely. And for me, I just want to get a similar boat as hopefully all the design work we've done. If we're in a, the same speed boat, I feel like we can beat them. Um, and yeah, but fingers crossed we're faster, make it a lot easier. But uh, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. We won't know. I mean, we'll get our first indications mid next year. Let's talk a bit more about you. Let's not worry about them just yet. Um, you seem really fired up for this cup. Tom, and looking back, I mean, you didn't have a drive for the Auckland Cup. You watched in lockdown from your home in Sydney. How hard was that, knowing it was all so much in your wheelhouse and you were at home walking the dog? <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually very easy the first three years of that campaign, maybe three and a half years. Um, I made the decision that... Um, 
I, I didn't want to do the cup again. Um, and at that time, I actually thought it was for good. Uh, I wanted to do something new. And Sal GP was on the horizon. And I said, I, I want a new challenge and want to do that. Um, if I'm honest, at that time, I didn't really know that uh, these boats were in my wheelhouse. I'd never been a skipper of any of the programs I was part of. Um, I, obviously, I was a single-handed sailor. I was a laser sailor. And uh, then I became a, a crew, a tactician, a strategist for oh, best part of sort of eight years. And, and then I decided to, I had a bit of time not doing the America's Cup. I decided to concentrate on the Moth Worlds in 2019. And I realized that I can, I can definitely do this. I can beat some, the best guys in the world. Um, and then Sal GP started and leading a team, I realized I'm hopefully not holding us back in steering um, because I hadn't steered these boats. And I just sort of built confidence from there. And so for sure, watching in 2021, I, by this stage, I sort of realized that I can hold my own against the top guys in the world. And then that last six months when they all arrived in, in Auckland, uh, I remember just that was hard. Um, watching all the teams out there and uh, out on the same batch of water and all the different design philosophies, I was like, oh, that, that does, that hurts a bit not being there. Um, and so, yeah, watching that was tough, but I sort of knew that oh, my trajectory at the moment as being a helmsman is, is going pretty well and this cup's just finished and I'm in a pretty nice position and uh, so fortunately I was given an opportunity to come back to the cup because as a sailor not many people are able to sit out a cup campaign and then come back after. Um, it's pretty rare. I remember when I was chatting to Grant Simmer before I decided to sit out 2021 he said just know that it's very hard to get back in. Not many people can do it um, but I was fortunate uh, to be able to make my way back. How did you end up then in American Magic Team Kit. How did all that come about? Um, I mean, obviously it's it's a bit of a logical thing as in it's the only team I could race for. Um, but I've always said uh, if I, I'm an Australian and an American US citizen, um, I proudly represent both countries. Um, my mum's 100% American um, and she's so proud when I'm I've got the US flag on my shoulder. So uh, it, if I wanted to race, it was with American Magic only because of the nationality rule. But um, I was talking to other teams um, about coming in a, uh, a backup sailor, not a backup sailor for the race, but essentially running the testing and being another helmsman on the B boat and uh, trying to help teams. But uh, after chatting to Terry, chatting to Doug DeVos, I got to know Doug on the 52 circuit. Um, we realised there could be an opportunity here and, yeah, we started going down that process and, yeah, I'm very happy the way it's all played out. What about GP, Tom? And we chatted a lot about that in your appearance on the podcast. But looking at your role here, has GP been a, a big asset, do you think, to your yacht racing? It's fleet racing, it's different... But there's still rules, of course. It's fast, quick decision making. Has Sail GP helped those of you that do both? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Um, you've only got to look at the direction that uh, the Defender Team New Zealand are going there. 
they put a lot of effort behind Sal GP now and they've got their they brought their coaches from Team New Zealand over to Sal GP and they've got resources there um, to back that because they realise that's a very important part of your preparation for an America's Cup. And then you look at Ineos uh, with um, now Emirates in the um, the British team in the Sal GP League. They are in the same boat. The French are doing the same thing. I, I think it is... Uh, an advantage for them uh, being able to race under really high pressure situations as a unit in the America's Cup cycle you don't get that many opportunities for that um, and these teams sort of go through the fire together and have to come out together and you sort of can realize the, whether it's uh, personality differences or cracks in the team you sort of can see that early on before the America's Cup comes around we don't have that luxury at American Magic. Um, I'm the only one who's leaving to do the Sal GP events, and but we that's I think that's why we weight the World Series events in Villanova and Jeddah so highly, um, because we we realise that this is our only opportunity to race as a team with pressure, and uh, it's just something you can't simulate in house. So I think that's why Sal GP so good. I remember having. John Bertrand on the podcast, a, a mentor to you throughout your career. Uh, and just, I think the timing was you just signed for American Magic. And he told us that you'd both talked before you signed. And I think he said you called him, but maybe he called you, I'm not sure. He said you asked him if you were doing the right thing. Can you remember what he told you? Yeah, I've um, I've always called John Bertrand um before a big decision, whether it was sitting out the America's Cup in 2021 or um, or coming back into it this time, Sal GP, um, leaving the Olympics, I've always called John Bertrand. I often call uh, Grant Simmer as well. They're two of my mentors who have helped me a lot over the years and I'm very lucky to have two people like that. But yeah, for sure, I, I, I called John and said, what do you think? I'm thinking about coming back into it and John's got a very soft spot for the America's Cup, as everyone could imagine, and he said, you've got to do it, um, yeah, make it happen, and and at that stage, it's easy to get bogged down in contracts and things like that and getting clauses that you want, and, and he said, look, I think you'll regret it unless you ease up on a few things and make sure that the deal happens, and yeah, it's having people like that who have so much experience, have been in the game and, and know the America's Cup world better than anyone um, to advise you on how to make your next decision. It's very important. Throughout your Olympic career, you had a few rivals, but one man perhaps above all others. And now you're sat across the boat from him, Goody, of course, fierce rivals around the Olympic laser course. How's that dynamic uh, for sure, yeah, good. He was my biggest rival in the lasers over the years. Uh, he obviously beat me in the 2008 Olympics and won a gold medal, and and then I got him in the 2012 Olympics to win a gold. And and then we've competed against each other in moth world titles. Uh, we've been in America's Cup teams against each other. Um, so it is a bit weird seeing him on your boat instead of on the boat next to you, uh, for sure. But... Uh, Goody and I uh, get along really well. I think when you race against someone, and uh, whether it's a, a, a huge rival of yours, you have to respect their skills 
and there's times there where he's beaten me and I feel like I'm sailing at my best and I sit there and go, well, how does he beat me when I'm sailing really well? And so it just it means you've got to go, that guy's very good. He's very talented and it takes almost more to beat someone like that. And uh, for me, that it really just hits home. Like even though he might do things differently to the way I do them, I know that his, he can get results. He can achieve results with his processes and he's proven that. And I've got to trust his process a lot of the time, even though it may differ from mine because I know it, it does work and it gets results. So, um, yeah, Goody and I have yeah, a few highs and lows along the way, but um, I think, uh, yeah, we'll be strong next year and we're still sort of learning each other's ways and, and how each other operates, but I think we'll be pretty strong by the start time next year. Let's talk about the twin helm thing. It's a new process for you. I mean, how weird is it? I think the control freak in me might struggle with it you know how's how's that all going and you know how do you work out who makes decisions when I mean it's all new Mm. it is really hard to how that all works and I think everyone watched the last America's Cup watching uh, Jimmy and and Francesco Bruni sort of work together and it, it really looked seamless but it shows how much work they did on that before they hit the water because uh the way they were able to sail and there was never any arguments or to even, it was almost like they didn't even discuss things. They sort of, it was just seamless the way it worked. But as soon as we hit the water um, doing the twin helm and got on a racetrack, you quickly realise that it's easy to butt heads. One person might want to tack on one boat and the other guy, no, I want to let him go. I want to be less aggressive and go to the boundary. And yeah, how that all works is, is tough. And Goody and I, for sure, we have different ways of racing. Um, I'm, I might be a bit more aggressive, probably, and a bit more into boat-on-boat sailing. And Goody's kind of, his way is just go fast and make sure that we're sailing the boat at optimum and we will sail away from them that way. Um, it's just going to be a blend. And whether one helm runs one side of the boat and anything to the... To the left of the four-stay, Goody runs, and anything to the right of the four-stay, I run. Um, who knows how that's going to work? We're still working on it, honestly. <laughs> I think you'll always be. <laughs> that's quite the challenge. It's going to be a big year, Tom, isn't it? I mean, whatever happens on the racetrack, parenthood is literally just around the corner. You know, how much are you looking forward to, to all of that? Honestly, I, I can't wait. Um, yeah, the thought of having uh, my first child, a little baby boy. Uh, my wife and Elle are just so excited. Um, I'm going to be heading to Jeddah, um, but I've already looked at all the flights. If the baby did come early, every single option, how I could get home as quick as possible. If that case scenario happened and I had to tell Terry and, and the guys that I'm sorry, but if I had to if I have to choose, I, I'm going to walk away in the middle of the night if I have to, to make sure I get there for the birth of my first son. Um, but they completely understand. I'm fully supported. And then um, I won't be doing the um, Dubai Sal GP as it's just a bit too close to it. Um, but they're very easy sacrifices to make, if I'm honest. Um, yeah, this is something I, I'll always do more sailing regattas, but uh, being there for the birth of my first uh, child is something that yeah, you know, I wouldn't trade for the world. 
We're all excited for you, Tom. And it's great to have you back on the podcast, a regular now. Many thanks for your time. No, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Tom Slingsby, Cohelm at American Magic, sounding pretty confident as well. I like that. Well, as we've discussed, Tom's been on the podcast before. There's a great two-part sit-down with him a few editions back into the archive that sees him chat about his sailing career to date. If you haven't heard that already, it's a popular listen. Give it a try. Our next guest is one of the sport's most respected coaches, a longtime colleague of Terry Hutchinson at Quantum Racing. His cup campaign career goes back to Ed Baird's New York Yacht Club Challenge of 2000, Young America. And he was last involved in the cup as a coach with Artemis in 2017. As you'll hear, we go back a long way. He's one of the sport's great speakers, and it's so good to have him on the podcast. Hey, Coach Burnham, Tom Burnham, it's great to have you on the podcast. For our listeners, I have to say, for a long time now, Tom has been my go-to saviour on WhatsApp when I need something clarified for commentary or scripting. And you always oblige, great at explaining sometimes quite intricate scenarios. So a huge thank you for that. And it's great to have you join us, Tom. First time on the podcast. I can't quite believe that. <laughs> Thank you. It's really uh, great to be here. It's for certainly a podcast that I listen to all the time. And um, really, quite honestly, I'm uh, not sure I belong in the company of all the others that have been, have been on this podcast in the past. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that's not true in, in any way, Tom. It's pretty busy here. And, and your job, as we're about to hear, is pretty full on. I mean, every day seems full on here at American Magic. How's it all going? It's going great. And it is super busy. We have a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts in these campaigns, as you well know. And um, yeah, you see the, the amount of people that are here at the lunch table when we have we all have lunch together. And it just gives you a scale, a scope of the, the how big things are when you see everybody in lunchtime. But um, yeah, things are going well. We're ticking along, going through our objectives really nicely. You know, we have our tough days and tough weeks here and there, which is all part of the process. And But overall, things are ticking along really nicely. We have just had a very lovely lunch, Meat Free Monday here in Barcelona. It, how many people is it here? You know, how many people are here? And, and just give us an idea of, of the scale of it all. Yeah, so I think that there on a given day in the lunchroom is about 120 people or something like that in that in that um, somewhere in that in, in that number, and it's a pretty big group. There's only you know, interestingly, I find is coming from historical America's Cups. Now there's only I think it's 18 sailors that are here in the in the program, um, and that's including the power group and everything, and so. It's quite a big organization that that goes around outside of the sailing team. And, you know, the sailing team is the group that really gets the most exposure. And but the other parts of the program, it's such a big, you know, the the program is so much bigger than the sailing team. And it really is. um, It's really a spectacle to see how everybody works together and how much happens behind the scenes. It's great. You've had a, a long involvement with the Cup now. I'm a head coach, of course, with Artemis back in Bermuda and a regular part of Terry's quantum racing team and, and the Bellamenti outfit. Mm-hmm. You weren't, though, with the Cup down in Auckland. What was that like, watching it all unfold on the telly, <laughs> knowing the team 
as well as she did. Yeah, it was definitely interesting not <clears throat> not being a part of the of a program last time and watching. Um, actually, I was doing some television commentary in the U.S., and so it was. Um, I was sort of trying to be as involved as I could from from the U.S. and doing commentary in a, in a booth in the U.S. So it was um, interesting to try and figure out what was really happening and and then um, explain it to the audience in in on television. But it certainly. As much as I already knew about sailing, obviously from coaching the Artemis team in Bermuda with foiling boats, the how much I've learned about these boats when coming inside the team, I really didn't know a whole lot when I was watching from the outside. There were a lot of things going on in the background that were that are hard to pick out if you're not on the inside of the program. So it's um, it's interesting to see how different the picture is from one side of the wall to the other. You're part of the family. Though. That must have been, I mean, it was emotional being yeah. in Auckland and, and knowing a lot of the main guys so well. Yeah. You know, what yeah. was that like for you, Tom? That was hard. It was definitely different to be, you know, on the outside looking in with the group that, with the DeVos family, the Bellamente crowd, you know, Hapfouth and, and then Terry and, and so many of the people that were on the sailing team last time and the, and the, the, the design team that I've worked with for so many years. So it was interesting to not be involved, but the timing wasn't right and it didn't work out. And, and so it is what it is. And here I am now. So it's all, it's all come around and, and, you know, it's, it's always hard to not be involved in the America's cup, but sometimes when you're in the America's cup, you wonder whether you should be involved because it's so much work. So it's, it's a little bit of a catch 22 sometimes, but overall it's, it's always a positive. It's usually a positive. That's for sure. When you joined the team, what did you find? Um, I found a group of people when I joined the team that were very dedicated to this program. I think what this team went through last time and the people that have stayed on and come back to be a part of it um, certainly have a very shared vision of how of changing that ending and the changing the narrative as to how things ended in the last cup. So I think there's a lot of determined people and a lot of people that really want to be here and really want to work hard to make this program successful. So I think it's a, um, it's, it's a great atmosphere that's here in this team right now. And, you know, luckily it's been a bit over a year that we've been operating and it still has that feeling, which is really great. So it hasn't diminished at all. In fact, it's probably grown as now that we're here in Barcelona, we're seeing the other competitors and it feels all more real now than it did a year ago in Pensacola by ourselves. You might not have time to watch television, but I, 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 so this question might not make sense. But I mean, I was wondering if you had a chance to channel your inner Ted Lasso, you know, put the believe banner over the door, press reset. I mean, how how challenging as a coach was it, you know, stepping back in here? Yeah, I, I certainly loved Ted Lasso. It was a fantastic program and it's definitely some great coaching techniques that's come out of that and things that I've learned from watching it for sure. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that is really the essence of the job here for me because I'm not, certainly aren't going to, not going to pretend to be a better sailor than any of the people that are on the sailing team here. So my real role is to create the culture or to help create the culture. You know, the team itself creates the culture, but create the environment where a good culture can flourish. And I think that that's a little bit like a little bit of how I saw the Ted Lasso sort of side of it and that Ted Lasso sort of style is not that 
dictating of how we're going to do things, but to just create the environment to allow the culture to be strong and and open and trustworthy, trustful, and all of those things that are that make a strong team in the end. So, I think that's what I see as my primary role within the team. And then, of course, there's always the looking at tax and jibes and wind shifts and communication is a big piece with what, how the guys talk to each other on the boat. And, but the culture piece is a real big part of it, I think. And, you know, that's exactly what I took out of that Ted Lasso thing, uh, I believe too. There's plenty of superlatives to describe your driving duel. I mean, both Olympic gold medalists, both multiple Moth world champions, Slingsby, untouchable in the CLGP. I mean, Goody, with all that experience in Auckland, how would you describe the driving talent, the partnership on the boat? Oh, it's, it's incredible. And it's really, um, you know, as I said, the, 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 I have no hope of being, of actually coaching these guys in the, in the classic sense of teaching them new things necessarily, but, it, and, but their, their skill sets and their their drive as as sailors as competitors is unbelievable you know and i luckily had the fortune of being able to work with both of them prior to being part of the team here and that helped me have a little bit of a um an advantage on how to work with them but there's no no question that they are both you know super talented people in our generation this generation of sailors these high performance sailors there's there's so few that are even their peers. So it's it's pretty special to have two such amazing people on our boat all the time and sharing the helming duties, learning to work together and, and showing what a, a duo like that can accomplish when they're when they're strong and working together. It's really fantastic. You know, as a coach, you're generally working with what you've got, aren't you? <laughs> that, that is the job. You know, how much does it feel a, a real luxury to have two absolute world-class helms driving the boat? It's an amazing luxury to have these two guys driving the boat. I mean, they're, you know, they drive the whole program, really. It's not just driving the boat, and they're really an integral part of the design process and the planning and how we're making sale decisions and daily planning and you know they they're intimately involved in so many other decisions not just when we're sailing and to have the two of them together and have that raw skill set of these two people it's a massive luxury i mean it certainly makes my job a lot easier than if if we didn't have people of that caliber so you know i'm very fortunate to be able to work with these guys that's for sure the whole team is i'd say I can remember when they were both trying to win gold medal at London 2012. They weren't even speaking to each other. <laughs> you know, how, how did the pair fuse together? And it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it, with, you know, two helmsmen and both sides of the boat. And, you know, how did you make that work? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And it's, it's a still a work in progress. I mean, it's definitely um, an interesting, it's never really been done before what Lunarosa did, as far as I know. But to have, um, have two helmsmen sharing the role 50-50 and helming, it's, it's incredible. And as you say, to have these guys that were also pretty, pretty big rivals between the 2008 and 2012 Olympics, one of them winning gold in each, each edition, um, it's pretty amazing, and to, but the but the best part is is that they're both fierce competitors, and when push comes to shove, 
they realize that that uh, working together is going to be what creates success. And so, you know, as much as they might have competed against each other on the water and in their laser laser days, now they're competing against e with each other against the uh, the other the other competitors out there on the race course, the other teams. So, that's a sure way to get some unity going. And um, you know, and we're figuring out the different roles and responsibilities and how the shift happens in different times and different parts of the race. And that's all bit that's kind of nuance more than uh, major shifts in how and how they work together because they they just know that they need each other and they need to work together really well. So, and that's another great thing. I mean, the fact that y you know you've got two two helms and 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 working to push the boat to its limits. And if we see a difference from starboard tack to port tack, we can look at what's different, what we can do to make some changes. And we might be learning twice as fast as if we had only one helm switching from side to side and having to change them, you know, do 20 minutes on one helm and 20 the other day, other helm. But now instead we've got direct comparisons on a daily basis. So that's a, that's a real advantage as well. I'm going to ask you a bit about Tom Slingsby. He's, you know, the, the king of CLGP it seems mm -hmm. unbeatable, but he must he must always be away. There is an event every couple of weeks. You know how how do you factor that in? It must be pretty hard for scheduling. I mean, was that non negotiable to to having him? And and do you think that it it perhaps adds something to to the performance, it, or can it be a distraction? You know, how does that fit into your program here? I actually I think it's a, a positive to our program. I think one of the things that's so good is that um, he is continuing to do high-level racing with a lot of pressure put on him. Um, and it's, you know, once a month or so, as you say. And, you know, there's been a couple of times when we've felt the sting of him going away and not been able to sail two four AC40s for a couple of days. But it hasn't been that much. And I would say that the positives of it have been greater than any negative that we got from it. I think the biggest negative is probably for him personally, that he doesn't get much of a break, that he'll go away for a four days for a CLGP event, and we'll usually at least have a two-day weekend, if not a three-day weekend. And then he comes back out in, he lands and comes from the airplane to here, and I stick him on the boat, and he has to go drive. So that's probably the hardest one is his timing and his downtime. But the positives of him out racing every, every couple of weeks has been really good. And the other positive is it gives others a chance to step up in his place. So, you know, in every one of these teams, we always have – a, a whole squad of sailors. It's not just the eight guys that are on the boat. And so we need all of them to be ready to go and, and be able to steer the boat or trim or cycle or whatever it is at a moment's notice. So anytime we get the chance to put these other guys in, and it, it, that's really valuable as well. So there's a couple of good positives from him doing these racing. Well, a few weeks ago, we saw you win in Villanova. And although on the path towards cup glory is largely irrelevant. From the outside, anyway, it looked really important to the team. I mean, what, what could you take away from it? Was it vindication of your decision-making in some way, a sign perhaps that you're on the right track? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. It's a sign that we're on the right track. I think that the sailing team performed well, and I think that that is always a nice thing. It's a good boost to the whole team, um, design team, the boat builders, the people in Rhode Island who are building the new boat. 
everybody around here is putting in a lot of long hours and, and putting in a lot of effort to get this team out on the water and training and practicing. And so to be able to um, go out and win the regatta for the team and for the people on this team was really a powerful message, I think, to the whole group as a whole here back at the base and and um, over in Rhode Island where the new boat's being built. So that was probably the most important part. And then, of course, the, the fact that the sailing team performed under pressure, that's always a good thing. So um, obviously it was a really important win, and that, but as you say, it, not, not that it counted for any points, but in terms of motivation, I think it counted for a lot. So it was pretty important. And Tom, the very DNA of this team, it, it stems from Terry Hutchinson, doesn't it? And his relationship with Doug DeVos and, and Hatforth, the relationship that's flourished on the Grand Prix racetrack over the last two decades. Mm. I mean, Doug with the 52 Super Series, of course, and Hap with his Maxi Bellamenti. Describe that shared history and what all of that history brings to this team, to the campaign. That's a big one. And it, it really, that DNA from those two programs really permeates this whole program here. Um, especially from Terry, but also from Happ and Doug, of course. But those two highly successful Grand Prix programs were the lead into this to this whole thing existing. You know, I think obviously without without the quantum racing or the Bellamente programs, American Magic wouldn't be here. So to bring those two programs together, in a sense, and those two, you know, Doug and Happ together, who are just amazing people. Um, was a stroke of genius by Terry, and I'm sure he worked really hard to make that happen, and it was certainly uh, something that we're all thankful for. And the the type of energy and attitude that is in, is in those teams, in Quantum Racing and Bellamente, which I was luckily a part of both teams for a long time, um, is really what this whole program is based upon here. So I think it, it certainly... There's so many people in this team that are were part of those programs along the years that it's it's kind of the culture that the foundation of this program was built upon. So it, it really is a huge part of this this program here. Well, it's scarily not very long to go now, <laughs> less than a year. And what does the timeline look like for Coach Burnham? And we must be approaching the most exciting bit, I'm guessing, a new boat on the horizon, a lot of learning and a lot to get right. For sure. And I think that's, um, yeah, it is a, a really exciting period coming up. You know, luckily we've got the two AC40s to be able to do some some um, match racing practice um, over the winter before the new boat shows up and, um, and then getting into a new boat and how great is a new boat. So we're really excited about getting the new boat. First, obviously, we've, we're doing a big period with Patriot right now, which is super valuable to be out here on the water with an AC-75. And then a bunch of um, AC-40 sailing for some training, which will be, which will be really fun and um, a little bit of a different push than what we've had with the 40 so far, where it's been a lot used a lot as a design tool and less as practice for racing. So to be able to get some race practice going in the coming months is going to be really fun. That's a... That's sort of um, really exciting from um, from my perspective for sure because it'll be uh, right up the alley of what we're look. I'm looking to, to get the guys into some more racing leading up to the cup. It'll be fun. 
It's great to hear that match racing is now more of a priority in the programme. Do you think with the version twos, we're going to see more more of that? Is it going to be you know tighter, a tighter battle in the race course? Well, of course, we'd love for it not to be a tight battle and we'd sail away with four knots faster than the other boats around the race course. That would be amazing. We'd love that. But we're certainly preparing for the fact that it's going to be a battle um, and that with the version two of the boats, like you say, that things will be much closer and that the teams, all the teams will be much better equipped at maneuvering and boat handling is going to be faster and better and and more consistent. So that's just going to in turn make the match racing much more of a piece in this next America's Cup. So I definitely would be surprised if it wasn't more... We're probably going to see a lot more classic match racing moves and things happening around the race course than we have in the the last edition um, because of the boats being closer and the boats being able to be maneuvered much better. So uh, we're definitely preparing for that, and that's the goal, and that's where having a great sailing team like we do have is is, feels like a real advantage. And... um, but as I said, I would love nothing more than us being so much faster than it's not a match race. But we certainly can't count on that. That's what we, we need to we need to prepare for the for the battle. It's going to be an exciting year. Good luck with it all, Tom, and a massive thank you again for your time. Thank you. Doing great. Tom Burnham, such a pleasure to have him on the podcast. I can tell you as well, he's a very busy man. Tom sits in an office at American Magic in Barcelona, absolutely surrounded by data. Live data off the boats, analysis data, training and sailing schedules. But he's always been very generous with his time. So Tom, many thanks. Our final chat for this edition is with one of the rising stars of world sailing. And testament to Terry Hutchinson's eye for talent, he's a previous US Sailing Sailor of the Year. And at just 22, Harry was just eight years old when Tom Slingsby and Paul Goodison were fighting it out on the Olympic laser course in Beijing. He's now their backup helm. And as you'll hear, it's a role he's delighted to have. Harry Melges, first time on the podcast. I think perhaps our youngest ever person on the podcast, but maybe not. Uh, many thanks for coming on. We're here in Barcelona uh, at the American Magic team base. How's life here in Barcelona? How's it going? Well, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a real honor to be here talking with you guys. Uh, life in Barcelona has been just awesome. It's been a real privilege to get to work with the American Magic team and be involved with the sailing team. And I think coming from where I came from, it was a big transition to move to Barcelona, but it's been great. What's your role? What, how do you fit in in the team? Yeah, well, day to day, my role is uh, a backup helm for Tom Slingsby and Paul Goodison. And I'm also kind of leading our American Magic Youth Program for the Youth America's Cup. So yeah, day to day, I'm just working on bettering myself as a helmsman and also organizing a bit for our Youth and Women's Cup. That's a lot, isn't it? I mean, how did it all come about? A phone call, I guess, from Terry, maybe? I mean, how exciting was all that? Talk to us about it. Oh, it was extremely exciting and um, definitely a bit surprising at the time, I would say. I was lucky enough to win the U.S. Rolex Yachtsman of the Year in 2021 and had a few other successes after that and was lucky enough to get the call up from Terry. And yeah, now I'm here working with the team. 
Terry's a good judge of talent and character. He must have seen something special in you. Well, thank you. Harry, you said that you were the backup helm to Tom Slingsby and Paul Goodison. I mean, that's quite a statement, quite a role too. I mean, can you believe that's your job? I mean, how exciting is that? It's extremely exciting for me, especially being at such a young age. Um, I feel like there's definitely could be a lot of pressure that's involved with that, but I really try to focus on improving myself as a helmsman and supporting those guys where I can and making sure that, you know, they're getting better also every day. How do they how do they operate? I mean, how come they're so good? <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I'm not sure I even know that, but I don't know if they know that either. They're definitely, Tom and Paul are definitely quite different, but I, the, what I've seen so far is they work together super, super well, and I think that's going to be the most important aspect of these new boats in the America's Cup where you have a split helm. It's quite new. <laughs> um, I can't not mention, Harry, your sailing legacy. I mean, Terry calls you H4, doesn't he? Harry's, Harry Melges the fourth from a family with a pretty significant sailing background. Yeah, certainly uh, I come from a family of sailors, and my grandfather, Buddy, uh, won the America's Cup in 92, and he also won a gold and bronze medal in the Olympics. So that's, you know, it really gave me someone to look up to growing up, which I think helped my sailing career a lot. And my father is still involved in the industry running Melgus Boatworks, and was also a pro sailor for a long time, and that's where I learned most of everything from. <laughs> How big was the cup in your life when you were growing up? What do you remember? Yeah, growing up, the America's Cup was always seen as like the pinnacle of sailing. I remember uh, going to my grandfather's house when I was really young, and he had this model of America cubed, which he had helmed and won the America's Cup in 92 on. And it was just the coolest thing ever growing up, seeing that. And, you know, always thinking that it was a possibility for me coming from the Midwest, where there's not a lot of sailing. It's hard to imagine. Can you imagine what that must have been like? It was very, very cool for me. It's been a while, hasn't it, since the Cup's been back in the hands of the New York Yacht Club, 40 years, in fact. Explain to us how big a deal is it? As a sailor from the U.S., you know, what does that mean to be sailing for that trophy? Uh, it's everything. I mean, it's got America. America's in the name of the America's Cup, so for an American team to try to win the Cup is very, very important, and I'm pretty young still, 20, just 22 years old. So pretty much my entire life, the America's Cup has been dominated by other countries that I've seen. So um, it's extremely motivating for me to try to work to bring the Cup back to the U.S. Give us a glimpse into your life here and, and your role. What, is, what does your day look like? Uh, well, I get to be involved with the sailing team. So we're typically exercising in the morning, either in the gym or cycling. And then we'll debrief uh, footage from a previous day of sailing or from weeks ago. And yeah, then hopefully we're sailing that day. So we'll go on the water for you know, two to eight hours, depends on what happens. Uh, and yeah, that's pretty much day to day for me. I'm also involved with the Women's and Youth America's Cup a bit and organizing that. So a bit of admin goes on on that side of things. <laughs> I've got a favor to ask on that side of things. A big question, Harry. I mean, you've, as you say, you, 
you're running the AC40 sim, which is just downstairs. And I'd love to take a look. Is that is that achievable? Can we do that? Of course. Well, that's very exciting. I, you can tell me how it all works. Um, Harry, many, many thanks for your time. It's been, it's been so great to meet you. And hopefully we'll talk again on the podcast soon. Thank you, Shirley. It's nice to meet you as well. The very modest Harry Melges IV, a rising talent in our sport and a man, as you're about to hear, who's true to his word. We talked to Harry yesterday and he's invited us back to the base. Uh, he's got us a slot on the AC40 simulator and I'm just going downstairs into the depths here at um, American Magic. All kinds of things happen, mostly behind closed doors and it feels very secretive. I'm going in now, here we go. I'm stood in front of a big window, actually the only space down here uh, where you can actually see, see in. In the back wall is a, a massive big TV screen. It's dark apart from the lights on the screen and also the lights on the instrument on the, well I was going to say on the boat, but <laughs> it is an actual bit of an AC40, maybe the third, third of the length. Uh, the cockpit is exactly the same. Um, and it is run by computer in the corner. So they're currently, they're sailing the course, but I'm going to go in and, and disturb them and, and hopefully get shown the ropes. Hey, everyone. Hey, Harry. Hi, <laughs> I'm here at my allocated time. <laughs> okay, hey, Harry, you're driving on the port side of the boat. What, what's the plan? What should we do? Yeah, so if you want to jump in on the starboard side, we're just going on a course right now in uh, Barcelona in our AC40 simulator, and yeah, we can just do some laps and see how we go. Cool. Well, I'm getting in. I'm going to drive on the on the starboard side. Go. It's quite a deep cockpit, isn't it? I need a step to get in here. <sighs> so yeah, at the moment I'm driving for you on the leeward side. So at any moment, if you want to take the wheel. Uh, the boat's yours. Okay, let me just let me just get my bearings. Is this actually what it looks like on the AC40? Pretty much. Uh, the inside of the cockpit's black on the AC40, and this is white. But other than that, everything's the same. All right, I'm pretty low down here. Uh, I have a, a wheel like a racing car wheel, and there's some buttons. What are the buttons on the on the side? Do I need to worry mm. about any of that? Yeah, so you have two uh, button panels on the outboard side. You have your board up and board down. Uh, you have a cancel button, which cancels the board up, board down function. You have a trim plus and minus button, which is the pitch of the boat. And then you have an up, wind, down, wind button. On the inboard side, you have the cant plus and minus, which is the angle of the foil arm. And you have a height plus and minus, which is how high the boat is flying. Okay, Harry's just tacked. We're heading back towards Barcelona. It's a massive big screen with a city. The city looks really cool on this, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks really realistic, I think. The W Hotel there in the foreground. Okay, behind Harry and I is, is our crew. We're not, we're not steering the ship on our own. Um, what do they do in the back, Harry? Yeah, so the two people behind us are trimming the sails and they're moving the traveler and the main sheet and then also the jib traveler and the jib sheet. They also have functions like mass rotation, uh, jib Cunningham, main Cunningham, and main outhaul. 
I think we're just at the top of the race course, so the first thing I'll do is bear away, and I'll go for a jive, and I'll give you the wheel. Here we go for a bear away in two, one. We're heading towards that seawall at pace, Harry. <laughs> it's angled. Don't fluff it up. <laughs> board down in three, two, one. Board down. And turning. Okay. Helm's mine, huh? Yep. Your wheel. And then feel free to go board up anytime. There we go. Board's coming up. I'm heading yeah. out to sea. Yes. Heading up a little bit. How does it feel? Well, there is well, there is a bit of feedback on the uh, crashing, <laughs> bearing away too much, huh? So yeah, now we're going upwind. I would try to target fifty true wind angle. Okay, okay, I'm too low. I'm coming up, sailing in the fifties, settled down, heading out to sea. There's a yacht on the horizon. Yep. Yeah, yep. we're going thirty-two knots upwind right now, which is pretty realistic to how the boat is. Okay. There's a bit of feedback on the helm. I wasn't really expecting that. Yeah, I, I got to say the feedback that they've put in this simulator is pretty similar to the real boat. So it's been a really good tool for us to train on land and teach new people how to sail the 40. I mean, you've sailed the, the real deal. How comparable is it? I'd say it's pretty similar. The one thing that you, you know, don't have, obviously, is the feel for the angle of heel. It's all visual with yes. a TV screen, so that's quite different. And then you're obviously dry the whole time, which is quite nice in the simulator. Uh, other than that, the boat's pretty similar. It's pretty cool. Too low. Whoa, I'm reaching around now. Is that all right? <laughs> yeah. 35 knots, I'm building. What's the top speed Lipping. of the sim? Uh, I'm not quite sure what the top <laughs> speed in the sim is, but we've gone over 46 knots with the AC41 design. Wow. Well, Harry, I can tell you spent a few hours in here. <laughs> Thanks very much. It's been really, really interesting. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you, Shirley. I'd quite like to stay all afternoon. <laughs> Sadly, I had to give the controls back to the American Magic Youth Sailing Team who were, along with the women's AC40 team, starting out on a series of training sessions in preparation for next year's event. To both teams, and to Harry, of course, a big thanks for letting me gatecrash their session. To the whole team at American Magic, Terry Hutchinson, the sailing team, Coach Tom, and to press officer Graham Harrison, a big thank you for letting us come visit. We know time is a valuable asset in the cut world, so it means a lot. Thank you. If you like what we've been doing on the podcast, get online and head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash sailing podcast to help support the pod. Buy us a few coffees and help keep the podcast ad free. It means a lot. So if you haven't already done so, give it a try. As ever, this podcast wouldn't happen without the tireless work of Tim at Vertigo Films. A big thanks to Tim for all his work. Well, that's it for part one. Make sure to give part two a listen. There's plenty more chat from the guys at American Magic. Until next time, thank you so much for your company. Have fun on the water and sail safe, everyone. This is Castle One. Great off for speaking. speaking. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh.
That's a good one, Jimmy. Still gaining on the day Look at it, 10-5, 42. Matching him on the boundary, yeah. Copy. This is Castle One standing by. Out.